So if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament to chapter 13. 13, chapter 13. This is a, this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. And when I started on this, uh, last spring I, I preached a message, and last summer I preached a message on it. When Chris has the uh, opening, I'll jump in there. He'll put me in there. And um, I like to go through things systematically, and so I was just in this passage starting in the very beginning a long time ago. But I, I really noticed uh, this passage just seems to fit our time in history because it's talking about wars and rumors of wars and the second coming of Christ. And um, the, for example, um, last March when I spoke on it, the first 13 verses just talked about wars and rumors of wars, and his disciples were asking Jesus, boy, this is going to be great. The temple is right over there. They were on the Mount of Olives pointing at the temple, and Jesus said, wait a minute, you, we're not going to be holding up in there. That place is going to be destroyed. There won't be one stone left upon another. And they were shocked. They were shocked. <clears throat> so we just kind of left it at that. That's talking about the period of time that we live in right now. We live in the wars and rumors of wars period because it hasn't come to the next section of what happens in history. And uh, actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all speak about these things. So I'm mainly speaking from Mark, and I'll throw in verses from the other Gospels writers also. But this is a time in history when we see that around us. I mean, we all know about the war in Ukraine. Who doesn't? Uh, unless your um, eyes are closed or your ears are closed or something. But, and especially our family, we listen twice a day because we have family members in Ukraine and many, many Christian believers we know over there. But also when we came to the next section, which was really about the, the rapture of the church before the tribulation, and that was verses 14 through 23, just a kind of a reminder because it all fits together. So after the time of the wars and rumors of wars, then it's going to come a time, we don't know when, the Lord only knows, when there's going to be a rapture of all believers, the Bible tells you, and I do believe in a pre-trib rapture, by the way, um, and then, of course, the beginning of the end will come because that will be followed immediately by a seven-year period called the Great Tribu, what is it? Tribulation, the Great Tribulation, well-known, it's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, but at the time of the writing of the Gospels, there was no mention of it till later because that was God's plan. So the tribulation starts, and what happens is um, all the saints, all the believers go to heaven and are met by the Lord in the air, and then there's corruption on the earth like never before. Now, I'm not going to explain that to you because I think you might have some sense of that. Um, so we come down to when is Christ going to come back again? That's the next thing after that. We haven't gone through that tribulation. You might have felt like you've gone through it at some point in your life, but that's not the real tribulation. It's horrible. But at the end of the tribulation, there's going to be the second coming of Christ, which we will focus on this morning, and that portion far starts in um, verse 24, verse 24 to the end of the chapter. So we're going to be there. If you're in a salt group, you might want to take notes. I'm going to give you a lot of references, but I'm only going to put on the screen that which is from the Gospel of Mark, and then the others you can look up for yourself. 
But people have been looking for when is Christ going to come back to the earth, not above the earth and take the believers up, but when is he going to come back to the earth? And you look around and you think, wow, I would like to know. Some people say, well, one guy wrote a book called um, 88 Reasons About the Rapture and the, that is coming in 1988. Well, it didn't come, did it? It didn't come. And um, we had World War I, 1914, and also World War II, and we had wars and rumors of wars in between, and there was a lot going on, but the rapture didn't come, even though the nuclear bomb did come at that point in history, too. People thought that Hitler was um, perhaps the Antichrist or the Pope or Henry Kissinger were the Antichrist and the end was near. And now as we go into the Ukrainian war situation, a lot of people are thinking about that too. Maybe this leads into it. Maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know. But what does Jesus say about that last time when he's going to come back to the earth? Okay, we are living in this period, this age, from the time of Christ to where we are right now. We don't know when it ends. And then we have the tribulation, just a very short seven-year period that's really bad on the earth. And then we come into the kingdom on earth when Christ comes back. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. So let's look at verse 24 and the first point we'll start with is seeing Christ in the clouds. I'd just like to kind of identify these sections for you this morning. And I'm just going to read these verses one at a time, and you'll follow them in your Bible. I would encourage you to have a pencil and take notes, especially in your, um, your little uh, bulletin that you get. There's a place for notes specifically on that topic. Seeing Christ come on the clouds. Verse 24. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So this is talking about when Christ is going to come back. And all of a sudden, we see this kind of massive breakdown of the solar system. It's exactly what it says. And it's mentioned in many places in the Old and New Testament, too. Uh, ancient prophets in the Bible spoke about this day. Isaiah 13, verse 9, we sang about him today, said, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a true day, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. And the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light, and the rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. It's like somebody shut the switch off on the power grid, you know. Joel, chapter 2, verse 10, says, Before them the earth shakes, the sky trembles, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. Joel says something more about that, and he talks about the moon turning to blood before the coming and great dreadful day of the Lord. That's why this is all happening. And Joel also goes to say the sun and the moon will uh, be darkened and the stars in the sky also. He's kind of repeating what we hear here in the Gospel of Mark. And in Amos, another Old Testament prophet, and these people lived long before Christ, long before Christ, says in that day, this Amos 8 verse 9, says, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and, the darken, and darken the earth in broad daylight. Can I just kind of imagine that? It's worse than winter in Gig Harbor. 
by the way. <laughs> then there's the corruptions of the heaven he talks about too. This is what Jesus is saying, and he's quoting Old Testament, verse 25. And the stars will be falling from the heavens, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. He adds to what is going on here. Luke, verse 25 in the Gospel of Luke, adds, Men will be fainting during this time. It will be a terrible time. And Revelation 6, 13 says, The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a tree, uh, as a fir tree uh, casts its unripe um, figs, uh, fig tree, I'm sorry, uh, when shaken by the great wind. So, how does it happen? What causes it? We don't know. Maybe God can use a meteorite or something like that to, to do that kind of thing. There have been meteors that landed in Russia that were felt all the way around the world about uh, the first part of the last century, and it wasn't even discovered until later because it was so remote, leveled out trees. Isaiah 34, verse 4, also goes on to say, And all the hosts of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? It keeps adding to it and adding to it. And it gets a little bit frightening, and I don't want to frighten you, because if you're in Christ, let me say one thing right now. You're secure. You're secure. Praise the Lord. Verse 26. Then... This is Jesus. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Jesus is answering his disciples who were thinking they were going to take over the kingdom and they were going to have the temple and all of that. But Jesus said, no, not one stone will be left upon another when he was talking to them. And of course, that literally happened because in 70 AD, the temple was leveled by the enemy that came in, and so they realized that's not what he's talking about. But it is a picture of something far greater here. Um, so then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of great power and glory. And in Matthew 24, verse 30, also adds to this. He says, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Some sort of sign he's talking about here. And all the nations of the earth will mourn. Now notice, all the nations are going to notice it and see it also. It's not going to be just in one local place like maybe Israel or somewhere. Christ's coming in glory refers to his brightness. When it talks about glory, his brightness. So he's coming in his brightness, a blinding light of some sort. I'm trying to paint a picture for you. That's why we had the graphic up on the screen there. It'll be dazzling when you see it. And why is that? Because all the other lights in the universe will be off, stars included. Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. About 600 years earlier, Daniel wrote this. He said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. No one's going to miss his coming when he comes. It's going to be visible to all of the universe around the world. We don't know how that will all work out, but that's the way it's depicted here in the scripture. Verse 27, verse 27, he goes on to talk a little bit more about this. He says, and then he, that would be Christ, will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end 
of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. That's pretty powerful. He's going to gather together his angels and so forth there. And there's going to be one big meeting. They're all coming together. And those who are on earth will have a picture of it, whether they're believers or not. Powerful angels of heaven suddenly take, take flight and come. And um, they take up all the elect, that would be believers there, as they come from all the points of the compass indicating the completeness of this massive sweep across the heavens. Uh, I, I just am kind of astounded by it as I think of it myself. We've never seen anything like this with all the things we've seen in the sky. And we were down in Texas recently, and boy, we had some big storms down there. They sent us all into the house running when one went off not too far from us, one lightning storm. But it's nothing compared to this, nothing at all. So of the unbelievers in the tribulation period, there will be people who have heard the gospel but not believed. And during that time, I think some of them will come to believe because there are those who do begin to preach the gospel. They've heard it before, whatever. And they come to, be believe, they come to believe and they will be gathered with the angels also into this period that is coming in the future. So we have war and war and... War and um, Rumors of wars, that's where we are now. Then we have the tribulation, only seven years. And then we have the future that's coming. And this is all leading up to the time called the, you know what it is? Do you know what it is? The millennium, millennium, thousand-year period where Christ will rule. So that's what we're really talking about in this message this morning. John MacArthur said the elect will include 144,000 Jewish witnesses and their converts and the converts of the angelic preachers and so forth from Revelation 14 and also Old Testament saints from Daniel chapter 12. We can read about them there. And Peter, Peter of course was one of the apostles and becoming the leader of the apostles in chapter 3 and verse 9 Peter warns of the pleading of the people of all the generations to repent. And he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand or count slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, and this is where he describes it, like a thief. The heavens will be disappeared, will disappear like a roar, or with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will lie bare. So, um, that's what it's going to be like. When we see these things, Luke told us, and Luke and um, Matthew add little things to the story that, that's typically the way those guys uh, wrote their record down, uh, add to what Mark says. So I'm giving you the full account if you read all three of them. They're all slightly different, but the, the heart of it is always exactly the same. So in Luke 21, verse 28, he says, uh, But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And of course, he's referring to those people who live in the tribulation period. That would be who those would be. 
There's a lot that's left up for us to figure out with the scripture, but um, um, it is very clear once you begin to put it together, it all fits together like a puzzle, perfectly fits together actually here. So now, Jesus takes a little bit of a different term in, in verses 28, so we'll come to the learning from the fig tree. He talks about a fig tree here in verse 28, and um, 28 through 31 is the whole passage here, but, but in verse 28, we have the symbol of the fig tree. I don't know if you've seen a fig tree. Um, I think we've got a lot of trees in our house, and some are kind of like that. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Uh, some have tried to identify the fig tree with Israel and things like that. We don't see that in the text, but a plain sense reading of the text would indicate what he's talking about here is a fig tree. <laughs> Got that? Fig tree. It's very obvious here. Nothing cryptic about a fig tree. There's lots of them in Israel. I've eaten their figs, and they are great when they are, when they are uh, in season, you know. Um, so when a tree has leaves, you know that the harvest is near. That's basically what he's saying here. And the pictures of progress of the historical events of the Old and the New Testament coming to fruition here when the when the leaves start coming out and the fruit comes out and so forth, you know that the time is near. So that's the message from the, from the fig tree that he's hitting at here as Jesus speaks. And then in verse 29, verse 29, we have a, a ripe tree picture here. It pictures Christ's nearness. His return is near. He's at the door. Even so, you too. When you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. So, when the fig trees, figs are ready, you take them and eat them. They're right at the door. And the same way here in history as what he's talking about, Jesus was telling how this thing will come to pass in due time. But the Jews like fig trees, so he used that as a simple illustration so we have wars and rumors of wars and uh, all kinds of things happening. It said there were a lot of things happening, Jesus said, during that period. It talked about earthquakes and so forth, and it was getting more intense. It would get more intense up through the period that, that we live in and into the rapture time and then eventually to the time of the second coming of Christ. We think we've seen it bad. The, keep telling us that global warming is going to mess things up, and you know, it probably will if um, we don't do some things, but I'm not too worried about that because uh, I know somebody that can fix it. And um, you watch for signs, and these are, those are one of the signs there, wars and rumors of war. It's going to get really intense. In fact, a, a week or two ago, I got a letter from a former friend of mine. I, I, he was a godly fisherman, died almost 100 years old, and um, his wife and him lived in Kodiak, where we lived when I was in the military in Kodiak, and um, they were there when the great Alaskan earthquake took place that destroyed so much. So she started writing her record of it as it was happening, four pages. It was really something, and the family members sent it home to me. I did the service for 
for the older gentleman, her husband, who was a godly man and impact on my life. But uh, it was just like, wow, this reminds me of what the Bible says, talks about earthquakes and floods and so forth. So the question is, with all that information that you have and with everything that's going to come, we don't know when. Only the Lord knows when. In fact, it says that even Christ doesn't know when. We'll talk about that in a minute, I think. So what should we do? What should we do? I think it's simple, but focusing on the vertical more than the horizontal. Um, it may just take a short period of time before the tribulation comes, and then if you're a believer, I believe we'll be raptured out and meet Christ in the air, not in the, on the earth, but in the air. And, and then we can be involved in Christ when he comes back to the earth. So when he comes to the earth, everybody is going to know, not only around the earth, but in the universe it would appear to be too. It's going to be the exact opposite of his first coming, which only a few shepherds knew and some wise men. And it was the quietest event in human history that had the biggest impact. But this is the opposite side. of it. It's the opposite way when Christ comes back to rule and to reign. And that reigning will be in that millennial kingdom. Let's just to say for a moment, in case you wonder about it, is the millennial kingdom very long? Well, it's a thousand years. That's the idea of millennium. If you want to read about it, go to Revelation chapter 20, and it's mentioned about seven times in the one chapter. The millennial kingdom when Christ is ruling. And I'll just say briefly, what happens in the millennium is believers go into it. All believers go into it. All unbelievers do not. They go into judgment instead. And so the result, of course, is that it's a perfect world at the beginning, but as the thousand years goes by, there's corruption that comes in. And what that shows, what that shows is that even in the children of believers who are born in the millennial period, there still is the remnant of Adam's um, history behind it, and they're sinners born. They're born sinners, and they don't all get saved. And so we have a problem at the end of the millennium. That's when Christ finalizes all that, but we're not going to talk about that, that today. So we ought to focus vertically and uh, less horizontally. Um, centuries go by. We don't think about these things. We worry about other things. We worry about our cars or we worry about our houses and so forth. But if we are focusing vertically, we'll take a different period on that. If we're really afraid of what's going on here, we might want to run. But don't go to Montana. You can't get away from what's going to happen when the earth and Christ come together, it's going to be beyond belief. Verse 30. Verse 30. So now, learning about the fig tree goes on a little bit more, and it says the generation, that generation has, has passed. So in verse 30 it says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Now, people might say, um, um, but they're dead. You know, all those people that Jesus talked to, this generation, 
How do we understand that? Well, it's not talking about that generation. It's talking about the generation in that period of history is what it's talking about. So you have to look at it from that perspective there. So <clears throat> this generation is not talking about the 12 apostles, but it's talking about the future generation that, that this happens under. So this refers to all of that. Daniel chapter 11 uh, says the end will come 1290 days after the abomination of the desolation. And that's what takes place during the tribulation. So the end will come, and this is when the millennial kingdom will be starting after Christ comes to earth. So how do we face this current war in Ukraine, by the way, right now? I was thinking about that. I have to do a lot of thinking about that, actually, and praying for God to work. Ukrainians are not perfect. Certainly Russians are not either. And I come from that background a little bit. Um, I think we must know, um, we must know, it may be just another, it won't be just another war like World War I, World War II, where it won't be like whatever World War III is, which is on the discussion channels quite a bit now. So I think what we need to do is pray for Ukraine. Pray for Ukraine. We had a wonderful young Ukrainian couple come into service last week and a wonderful fellowship with them and find out we knew people in Ukraine they knew of. So we need to pray for Ukraine. I think it's worthy. And I think we also, secondly, need to recognize that since Christ left, and we're now in the church age over here, that there will be wars and rumors of wars. We should not be surprised if war comes to our country. We should not be surprised if it comes to our town or city. But these kind of things go along with it. We are fortunate in America. God has blessed America in a great way. Something to be happy about on Veterans Day coming up this week. Uh, but live for Christ, spread the gospel. That is our responsibility according to the, the, uh, the direction that was given by Peter when he preached his first sermon, his first sermon in Acts chapter 2. So we need to spread the gospel because the time is short. And really don't worry. I think thirdly I would say really don't worry about the little things. Uh, don't worry about your health, really. I mean, we all have some healthful issues. Don't worry about your house. Don't worry about climate change uh, and those kind of things. I mean, I'm reasonably, but don't overdo it uh, because God's going to really destroy things. And wait till you see what Jesus does to the earth at that point. He's going to come in the clouds, it says. I love that section. He's going to come in the clouds. And so the question that is answered now in this section is being on the alert in verse 32, but on that day or hour, no one knows of that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, even Jesus doesn't know about the day or the hour, but the Father alone. So how do we understand that? Well, if Jesus were allowed to know, uh, then he probably would have told us, and we would say, oh, then I know how that's his, and we try to work it out on our own, or we have a big party until it comes, and then, we, then we'd be good after that. But no, Christ voluntarily restricted his omniscience to the obedience of the Father during this time, being part of the Trinity. 
so that we would see it in the depth of what it's all about. Matthew 24, 37 goes on to say, For the coming of the Son of Man, that's referring to Christ, will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. It was too late. So will the coming of the Son of Man be, it says. So it's going to be like that in the end. People will sort of just ignore it, you know, until it's too late. Verse 40 says, Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and another left. And it says the same thing about two women in the field, one taken and another left. And, and so the point is that the ones who are taken are taken into judgment. It's too late for them because they didn't pay attention there. Verse 33 of the text says, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time has come. I think of myself even, I have to say this, that I don't think about these things a lot until I read about them. I've gone through the book of Revelation several times in my preaching of the, over the years, and, and lots of texts in the Gospels and the New Testament are full of it too, and in the Old Testament, it's, it's riddled with it everywhere. Take heed, you don't know what it's going to be. Peter, 2 Peter 3.9, if you want to read sometime, jot it down. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is a great time that we live in to spread the gospel. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God. Talking about when he comes back to earth to reign. Because of which the heavens will be destroyed in burning and the elements will, be, will melt with intense heat. But according to his promises, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. That's looking, new earth. That's even looking beyond the millennium, I believe, there too. So when we look at all these passages in the Bible, almost half of the Bible is passages that are already fulfilled. And it um, depends on how you read them, but uh, uh, it's good to dig through these passages and remember them, and they relate to what Jesus is saying right here. So Jesus says in his closing, he says, be on the alert. That's essentially what it is. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house, putting his slaves in order, assigning to each of his task, a task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. So it's kind of a double alertness going on here. And then in verse 35, verse 35, he says, Therefore, be on the alert. He's saying that to the believers back in the first century and right on up through today and wherever that ends, and to those who will eventually be in that time of tribulation but come to their senses. This is all going to ring in their ears. 
till the Christ comes back. Therefore, be on the alert. You don't know when the master of the house is going to come, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. Asleep. Well, I know you didn't sleep through church this morning, for sure, but um, we can be asleep spiritually on things. And that's the warning to this generation. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. So that word alert occurs a number of times here. So um, 88 reasons for the rapture doesn't work. Don't try to guess it. Don't try to figure it out. Don't look at the stars and try to figure it out. No one knows except the Father. No one knows except the Father. Just be ready. Just be ready. Making foolish guesses is really pointless. Are you on the alert? So be on the alert. God is in charge. And... Uh, May we look to God for his direction. Now, whenever I preach again, I'll be in the next chapter, but it'll be different. But these just come together very clearly. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your word. There's lots of really future history here. And we see how some of it has worked out when we look at it even closer. We really took a bird's eye view. But may you bring glory to yourself as we think about it, how we spend our time or waste our time, what we do, wondering what's going to happen next in Ukraine or next door. May we be ready to meet whenever that is and however that goes, you in due time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.